Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be picking up the text in Genesis 41, starting in verse 8. Had kind of a longer discussion on the will of God and revelation and unbelievers in our previous episode getting through the dreams that Pharaoh had here in verses 1 through the beginning of verse 8, saying that the nations of the world cannot understand God's plans for the people in a general revelatory sense. That is absolutely true, even if we are looking at the specific idea of a dream here. Uh, we even took that and plumbed that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now as we uh, pick up the text then in verse 8, which is kind of where we left everything. We're looking at man's inability to interpret. Okay, so in the morning, verse 8, it says his spirit, we're talking about Pharaoh here, was troubled. Then he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. So that's just the account. And here it is. Pharaoh told him them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So we see man's inability to interpret apart from, we could qualify that and say apart from the Spirit of God. We read this in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Literally, all prophecy of Scripture does not become one's private interpretation. There is one correct meaning of Scripture. That's it. And we talk about the univocal nature of Scripture, the univocal, right? One voice of Scripture, the univocal nature of Scripture. That's what we're talking about. There may be many applications, but there is one meaning. And that's what we have to reconcile. Second Peter, again, 1 verse 20, all prophecy of Scripture does not become one's private interpretation. There is one correct meaning. This obviously isn't the first time that God has spoken to someone outside the nation of Israel, not counting the Garden of Eden or post-fall uh, antediluvian or antediluvian uh, incidents here. So when we think of this, think of Abimelech and Abraham, Genesis chapter 20, verses 3 to 7. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he himself not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So we have this dream, not looking back at the Garden of Eden or immediately after the fall, and we see that since uh, this time in the time of the patriarchs, God has spoken to people outside of what would become the nation of Israel. Looking at Abimelech there, uh, what about Laban? 
Genesis chapter 31, moving closer to our, our current situation 10 chapters ago. Genesis 31, 24, when Jacob had fled with his family, God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Twice he's come to people outside of the patriarchs that would lead to Israel and has revealed himself to them through dreams. In these instances, however, the revelation needs to be explicit and is used to prevent harm to the nation of Israel. In Abimelech's case, right, don't sleep uh, with Abraham's wife. Uh, That's very, very important. In Laban's case, don't kill Jacob or his descendants because they have my mark on them, right? And so he's preserving them. With Pharaoh, even though it is a dream, there is no dialogue, only symbolism. So we don't have these words back and forth. We just have symbols. So it's a different sort of dream. Interestingly enough, it is the type of dream that Jacob seemed to have in Genesis 28, starting in verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. No dialogue there, just, uh, just symbolism, imagery. In this dream, however, the Lord does speak in the midst of the vision. We're talking uh, about Jacob, right? I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. So even though it starts off symbolically, there is explicit dialogue in it. However, we finally come to a similar mode of revelation with Joseph himself, himself starting in Genesis 37, uh, verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose, stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it, bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So what we see here is we see a progression as far as the type and the quality of dreams And now as we get to Joseph's life, we're finding very similar dreams. And and that's a very interesting observation as I even think through it. It could be that God is preparing Joseph by giving him the dreams and making it obvious what the application is. Uh, that that he's preparing him for the dreams that the cupbearer and the baker would have, and then eventually Pharaoh and uh, and so forth. Now, in the case of Joseph's dream that he had, not what he's interpreting, both Joseph and his brothers knew the interpretation of the dream, and the same goes for the next dream: the moon, uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The eleven stars in Genesis thirty-seven nine, which draws a similar response from his parents. So remember that. Uh, verse 11 of Genesis 37. There are some things that God intentionally obfuscates. That's one of the things that we need to understand here in verse 8. This time, there's no voice from God explaining or giving clear direction as with Abimelech or Laban. As we mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So it was impossible for Pharaoh to interpret the dream, and 
it was impossible for Pharaoh's magicians to interpret them. Because they came from God, there's no getting around this. There's no way for them to interpret them because these are from the Lord himself, God who is a spirit, John 4, 24. And we have to recognize that it was impossible for them to do this task. This was the purpose by the way of the parables. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 17 uh, and we, we go back and look at that when Jesus has to explain the parables to his disciples and then explain why he's speaking to them in parables. It was so that they would be kept in the dark about those things. As one commentator said here, God used an Israelite slave, only a family one at this point, to confound the wisdom of Egypt, just as he later used another captive from Zion, that would be Daniel, to explain dreams to Nebuchadnezzar. So it's very fascinating to see all this come about. All right, that brings us then to our second point of the text. Remember, verses 1 to 8, the nations of the world cannot understand God's plans for the people. Now verses 9 to 36, not quite to the end of the chapter, but a good chunk of the way down. And 9 to 36, we see that God uses his people to explain his revelation to the nations. And so now uh, Joseph is going to get to stand in, and we're going to see God using him, his people, to explain his revelation to the nations. Verses 9 to 13, we see that God can sovereignly prompt the minds of unbelievers. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. God can sovereignly prompt the minds of unbelievers. We see that, first of all, uh, the cupbearer really did completely forget. He said, I remember my offenses today. And, of course, uh, we saw earlier in the chapter, uh, at the end of the last chapter, actually, verse 23 of chapter 40, yet the cheap cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. We see that last verse of chapter 40 come into play here in verse 9 that truly he completely forgot until God prompted his mind. The mode was similar. Both the cupbearer and the baker had symbolic dreams, just like Pharaoh, that needed interpretation. This same method would trigger the cupbearer's memory. Because he's in the Pharaoh's court, he's going to have opportunity to hear Pharaoh's dream. Maybe not everybody now, all the common people outside of Pharaoh's court are going to hear about Pharaoh's dream. They know that the magicians have been summoned, but as the cupbearer is in proximity to Pharaoh, it's a proximal situation, again, set up by the sovereignty of God. He has the opportunity to hear the dream, sees how nobody can interpret it, and God uses that circumstance to trigger his memory so that he brings to mind Joseph and that incident. And one could even argue that it was for just such a time as this. Uh, and I think that there's a case to be made there as you look in the book of Esther, uh, just such a time as this. Then in verses 14 to 24, we see that believers may have the opportunity to testify to God before 
the leaders of nations or to testify of God before the leaders of nations. You never know if you are just faithful, right? That's, that's your task is to be faithful to God in, in all of your circumstances, good, bad, uh, doesn't matter. You need to be faithful and you don't know where that can lead. You can't plan on it leading you to a place of greatness, might lead you to prison. You might die in prison, you might have an opportunity to testify to a fellow inmate or a prison guard before that, who knows, but it might allow you to be uh, placed before high heads of state. Those are things that we just don't know, but they may have the opportunity to testify about God uh, or on God's behalf before the leaders of nations. Verses 14 to 24, uh, let's keep reading. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself, changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin and ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blight, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was none who could explain it to me. Remember, believers may have the opportunity to testify to God before the leaders of nations. First thing I just want to call to your attention very practically in verse 14 is the idea of dressing appropriately. Now, this might fall on some controversy, uh, controversial ears, may it, maybe uh, in today's society. Uh, a lot of people argue that we don't need dress codes and things like that, but uh, there always have been for centuries. Actually, this is going back millennia. And we see that he's been in a pit, uh, not the, the most ideal circumstances. And in order to stand before Pharaoh, the head of state, he had to shave himself and change his clothes. And we could go into Egyptian hygiene here. They, they actually were a people at that time who shaved everything. And uh, body hair was looked upon negatively in that culture. But the point was, uh, this isn't an argument for or against beards or goatees or anything like that, but he cleaned himself up. He dressed appropriately. He dressed up to the standard of what it would be like to stand before a head of state. And I just want to make that observation because we're moving away from that. And, you know, when people have a conversation about how we should dress in church and things like that, listen, yes, God sees the heart. Men look at the outside, but there is a time and a place where uh, where we want to be uh, modest, where we want to uh, dress appropriately, even on the outside, knowing that God sees our heart, uh, but knowing that there are standards, you know, and I think of probably a good standard is not the, the top of the line, you know, like what would you wear to a formal evening gala event, you know, tux with tails. Uh, maybe we're not talking about that, but a good standard is in the business world. What is standard business attire? That's kind of that's kind of the standard uh, when you think about church. If you're going to dress to that standard to be professional, you know why wouldn't you, if it's within your ability, do that in church? Now, I'm not trying to 
to tell you one way or the other, listen, people come to our church dressed all sorts of ways and we're fine with that. I mean, as long as it's modest, but it's something to think about. You know, if you would dress up, if you were going to go speak before the Senate or, you know, the president of the United States was going to come to your house or the queen of England before she died, right? Elizabeth, uh, the second was supposed to, you know, come over. How would you dress to meet, you know, her Royal majesty, Uh, probably you wouldn't show up to the door in sweatpants. Maybe I'm presuming too much. You would probably want to clean up, make sure you had a fresh haircut and, you know, you're shaved and, you know, you've taken a shower and you're in your best because you want to, you know, you know, have an opportunity to, to meet the queen or now the king of England. Uh, great. Okay. Uh, or like I said, the president of the United States or, you know, maybe the governor or something like that. And the whole point is if you would do that for them, um, Maybe it's worth considering how you might dress in church. Uh, Yes, God does see the heart, but we also want to give him our very best. So uh, he dresses appropriately. You can't get by that, verse 14. I mean, he cleans himself up, gets new clothes, shaves, does everything so that he can appear before a head of state. Then uh, in verse 15 to 16, gives all the glory to God. And the lesson here, stick to your theology. If you've been living by faith and you've not been compromising your faith, don't start now just because your circumstances are a little different or you're standing before somebody who's in a very high position. You know, Pharaoh says, I've heard it said that you can interpret a dream when you hear it. And he says, that's not me. Verse 16, God is the one who does that. I I don't have any special powers of my own. Stick to your theology uh, and God will reward that. Uh, never compromise your theology, your belief in God and the scriptures. Always stick to that. Verses 17 to 24, listen attentively. Uh, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then he listens very carefully uh, to the account that Joseph gives him. That brings us to verses 25 to 36. And we see this then, that believers should declare God's revelation without reservation. Listen, don't sugarcoat it. Good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter. You've got to declare what God has said. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of the Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after the seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So as we read that, remember, believers should declare God's revelation without reservation. Verses 25 to 31, Joseph lays out the facts, says the two dreams are one. 
He looks and compares the certain elements. And of course, this is the wisdom from God. I'm not saying through this, don't, don't misunderstand here. This is not prescriptive. This is not saying that as a Christian, you have the ability to interpret dreams. What we are talking about is revelation. Now, does a believer have the ability to discern revelation? Yes. If you can learn the proper rules and hermeneutical principles that govern uh, how we approach the scriptures and how we can discern the meaning, then yes, everybody can, right? So believers should declare God's revelation without reservation. Declare the facts. Some people will take one thing and then they'll compare it against another thing in scripture and say, hey, look at this and this and this. And it's like, hey, no, here are the facts. That's what he's doing. These two dreams, two similar components here, two similar components here that shows that they're the same thing. The fact that it's doubled, it's set, it's firm in God's eyes. So uh, he just lays out the facts. Verse 32, here's the timeline. Doubling means it's coming right away. You've got seven years of plenty coming right up on you uh, right away. You got to take action now. And that's what verses 33 to 36 point out. Have a plan. God uses Joseph for such a time as this, not only to interpret the dream, but to give him a plan and notice, notice what he doesn't do. This kind of sets us up for the next uh, portion here, but he doesn't say, I'm your guy. He says, this is what you need to do. If this is true, and it is true because it's from God, you have seven years of plenty. You've got to take and plan during that time of plenty for the seven years that are following uh, of famine. And that's going to be huge, right? Because, you know, one year is not enough time to plan for seven years of famine. Two is not enough time. You need the full seven years of plenty to plan for the seven years of famine. And you're going to have to work your tail off during the seven years of plenty to make sure that you're ready for the famine that comes. So Pharaoh, not only am I interpreting the dream for you, I'm giving you a plan of action. And it shows how confident he is in the word of God. Think about that. You know, everybody expects their crops are produced the next year and then maybe the year after, but you're going to have bumper crops for seven years in a row. How could anyone possibly know that? No one could possibly know that you would have year after year, seven consecutive years of bumper crops, let alone be able to plan that in year number eight, you're going to start a famine and that it will go not just for one year, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven straight years of famine. That is supernatural revelation. And the fact that they believe Joseph and followed him is a testament to the power of God working through people who are faithful to uh, adhere and, and hold to the faith and to demonstrate that. And th that also shows why the people of Israel were so blessed in the land of Egypt for 400 years until 400 years later, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph as the book of Exodus begins. It takes 400 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to say thank you. And it's well worth it because the whole nation would have died under such a famine. And really they're the beneficiaries when you kind of think through it in a large grand scale, they're the beneficiaries of that. God set that up to preserve the nation of Israel. And they just happen to be there and go along for the ride. It's pretty incredible. God uses his people to explain his revelation to the nations. That's definitely all we have time for. We went a little over, uh, but we will pick up the text starting in verse 37 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. 
If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.